together with y'all. Um, again, for any who are here for the first time, um, we welcome you here. Um, if you're back, uh, we, we have uh, yeah some people who, again, here for our first time in a long, long time, either have moved away or gone to college. Thank you for, for being with us today. When, when I was in uh, some of y'all's shoes, when I was in middle school, I grew up in our youth ministry in, in Virginia, and there was a song that we used to sing. I don't know if you guys, maybe some of the older folks in here would recognize a song. Uh, it goes, I will have no other gods before me, uh, but here on bended knee, I will worship and adore thee. Who else can I turn to? You're the only one. You're the only one. You guys remember this song? Who knows this song? Okay, so the older people. Uh, and it goes, uh, one, two, three, four, you're second to none. Oh, yeah, you are the king of but you sing these songs, you don't really know what the words mean. You kind of have an idea. You're hearing the, the words, but it sounds completely other. If you've ever seen um, the, this lady trying to sing Mariah Carey on YouTube, and she sings Ken Lee instead of can't live without you, she says Ken Lee. And they ask her, what language are you singing? She's like, English. No, yeah, it ain't English. Uh, but check it out on YouTube. Not right now, but sometime later. Listen to it on YouTube, and you'll know what I'm talking about. But that was, what, that was one of the songs for me when I was growing up. I will have no other gods before me, but here on bended knee, I will worship and adore thee. Who else can I turn to? And, and at the time, I had no idea what that song meant because every time I heard it, here's what I heard. I will have no other gods before me, but he'll abandon me. I will worship and adore thee. Who else can I turn to? And as I'm hearing this song, like my older brothers and sisters in high school are like singing and they've got like tears in their eyes. And I'm like, how can you sing that song with tears? And maybe because you're being abandoned. But I couldn't understand how if he's going to abandon you, how can you say, who else can I turn to? You're the only one. That was so confusing to me. Obviously, in my mind, in my middle school mind, I didn't understand how I could worship a God who would abandon me, but I was completely wrong in my understanding of what that song was about. That's not the picture of God. But in that moment... And in that moment, that kept me from being able to worship and give my very best to the God that I was seeking to worship. Well, that's what it was in middle school. But as I got older, there were other things that stood in the way of my giving everything to God. It was my pride. It was my reputation. It was a desire for grades. It was to be successful. And as I get older, the the things change. It becomes the idolatry of, of family, the idolatry of success, the idolatry of whatever it is. And as I get older, different things stand in the way of me giving everything that I am to God. And if you're anything like me, the same is probably true. That there's something throughout the years, throughout the ages, throughout time that keeps you from giving everything that you are to God. And as we go through these six weeks of Lent, this journey that we're on is a journey into our hearts and out of our hearts to see what are these things in our lives that God is identifying, putting a finger on, that the Spirit of God has been speaking to us in our times either of fasting or our times of worship, in our times of being in the Word, in our times of fellowship, our times of house church, in our times of, of, of praying, things that God is revealing to us. I think most of us could probably recognize one thing in our lives that keeps us from fully following after the Lord God, from giving everything that we are to Him. Hopefully, as we go through our time in the, in the Word today, we'll kind of elucidate a little bit more of that, and the Spirit of God will shine a light on certain things in our hearts that make it difficult for us to give our all to God. But I want to read about a very cautionary example of a man in Mark chapter 10. 
verses 17 through 31. Who wanted desperately to give everything that he had to God and yet realized that there was something in the way of complete and utter devotion and surrender to the Lord. And I think in him, I see a lot of myself and perhaps you'll see a lot of yourself as well. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. This is God's word and this really happened some 2,000 years ago. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is God's word. And this uh, encounter that this man has with Jesus is so important and it's so powerful that not only does Mark record it in his gospel, but Matthew and Luke as well write about this man. In Luke's gospel, it tells us that he was a rich young ruler. Okay? He was a rich young ruler. It says here, it just says he was a man, he had great wealth. But In this cautionary story, we see three things that I want to bring out. There's a lot of things, a ton of things that we can bring out. But three things that I want to highlight here that helps us as we go through this journey, um, as we progress towards Good Friday and towards the cross, that will help us to see uh, some of the things that I believe the Lord is speaking to us. The first thing that we have to understand is that good things can quickly become bad things. Good things can quickly become bad things. You know, this is true in all of life. You could take a thing of bread, like we Olive bought bread the other day, and, and a few days later she pulled it out of the closet, and she's like, oh, is this mold? <laughs> and I said, it looks like it's mold. I don't think it's, it kind of looks like, you know, the kind of little stuff that, you know, the flour type stuff on the bread, but yeah, I think it's, it's mold. We saw very quickly how good things can become bad things. You see this in you're in Bible study class, maybe you're in Bible study, you're in house church, whatever it is, you're, you're, you're studying the Bible, it's a really great time. Your leader asks a question, throws out a question, 
And the person next to you says a really stupid answer. Well, there's no such thing. As, well, there's stupid answers, right? No stupid questions. So he says something really stupid, and you're looking at him, you're like, what the heck are you talking about? You take your Bible, and you hit him upside the head, and he gets really, he starts bleeding, and he has to go to the hospital. A good thing, your Bible very quickly becomes a bad thing. Right? You understand the principle, right? Now, what, it, what is he talking about in the context of this man? Again, Bible says he's rich. He's young. He's a ruler. This is something that all of us want. We all, whether if you're old, you want to be young. If you're young, you want to be uh, young in the eyes of somebody, but you want to be young. Everyone wants to be rich and everyone wants to be a ruler. Okay. So he's rich, he's young, and he's powerful. And there are people like this that we all know people. Maybe we don't know people like this, but we know of people like this, right? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, right? Rich, young, powerful. Uh, we have, who else do we have? Dwight Howard. Here's another one. Holds the city on their, all of all, the collective breath of Orlando was, was just waiting for his decision. What they call the indecision, right? He's rich. He's young. He's got power. Oh, there's people like, uh, I don't know, who are some other rich, young rulers? Bill Gates is not really young, but he's rich and he's a ruler and everybody wants to be like him. But that's this guy. So he's got everything that people would want. He's got the power. He says, snaps his finger, and, and everybody comes like the Lion King, right? Everybody comes, and they do whatever he wants. He's got money to spare. He's a good person. And yet something in his heart, though he has everything that the world would want, realizes that he's got nothing that he needs. You know, people like this, right? Like, I've got everything I could possibly want. But there's still something that I'm lacking. That's what he's feeling, and he's desperate for what that is. He's got this itch, and so it says in verse 17, Jesus is walking, a man runs up to him and falls on his knees in desperation. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? I've got everything I want, but then there's one thing that I need I don't have. And he comes desperate for Jesus because he's got this itch. That even though he scratches everywhere with every kind of rich, young ruler thing that he does, there's still this unscratchable, untouchable, unreachable itch on him. And I think this is the human condition. That we could have all our hands can hold. And yet there's this itch that we just can't scratch with anything that this world gives to us. And so he's scratching around, and I think this is part of what it means. This is part of the frustration, I think, that God has with this broken world. And being made in his image, there's this dissatisfaction with life in this world that causes us to pray, in heaven, all those itches are scratched. So God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's why Jesus tells us to pray in some way like that, because we realize that life here is broken and it's fallen and it's not right. And so here he is, and Jesus knows exactly what it is that he needs. He needs Jesus, and he needs the life that only Jesus can give, that life that begins the moment he puts his faith in Christ. And so Jesus says, I know what you need. And he starts ticking off all of these things that you need to do to get him to realize. And so he says, I've done all these things, but now what, what, I've done all these things since I was a little boy. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says here, here's the one thing you need. Verse 21, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I think this is one of the saddest verses in Scripture. 
See, he had this good thing, right? Great wealth, which is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Right? Money in itself and wealth in itself is a morally neutral thing. It can be used to do great things for the kingdom of God, and it can be used for, to do great evil. But he had this good thing, and Jesus says, give it up, and you can have what really matters. Give it up, and you can have life eternal. Give it up, and you can have me. That's kind of early, <laughs> but give it up, and you can have me. And he walks away sad. Right? There's something in our lives. Right? He comes desperate for Jesus. Jesus says, give this one thing to me. And he walks away despondent, depressed, and sad. See, this good thing very quickly became a bad thing because it kept him from the best thing. Right? You know how this is, right? One of the things I love about having an intergenerational conversation, there's a ton of things that I love. I love the fact that the older and younger can interact and, and, and our youth can, be, can, can watch and, and see those who've gone a little bit further along the journey and, and hear from their wisdom and hear from the words. But one of the things I like on the flip side is when the younger ones in here take care of the even younger ones, people like Leo and people like uh, Chloe, Zoe, Phoebe, like Jonathan, people like uh, my daughter and the daughters of, of others and children of other people. I love Seeing that kind of a dynamic happens, especially when it happens right and happens well. A couple months back, we had this uh, youth teacher training, and we sent out a message. We need babysitters. We need people to care for and, and, and hang out with these kids. And, and so a bunch of people came, and they helped out, and, and all of the children had a great time. And they laughed, and they played, and they, we, they have, we have videos of them giggling and, and saying all kinds of funny stuff. And, and these children didn't want to go home because they were having such a great time with people like Albert and people like Kenny and... And, and their older brothers and sisters just laughing it up. Uh, a few weeks back at uh, our youth SNF, uh, Saturday Night Fellowship, uh, we brought our daughter Manny, and she was hanging out, and she was eating. And, and um, one of our sisters, Mimi, had a little elephant. Uh, elephant in Korean is called Kokiri. And so she gave our daughter Manny this little elephant. And Manny was so happy, and her face lit up. And, and the entire week, she would play with this, this elephant, and she said, Mimi Kokiri, Mimi Kokiri. She's so happy. And she was just running around, and she, you know, we're like, do you like Mimi? Do you like Sister Mimi? And she's like, yeah, I like her. I like Mimi. And she was just loving life. And, and yesterday, as I was in Atlanta. I was about to, to um, go to the airport, and I called Olive just to, to check in. And, and I heard Manny in the background. She was giggling like crazy. And I was like, what's going on? And, and so I, uh, she put Manny on the phone. I said, Manny, what are you doing? And she's just having a great old time being tickled to death by, by Aunt Sarah. And she was so happy. We're like, do you like Aunt Sarah? She's like, oh, I love Aunt Sarah. And she loves all the people here. She loves Uncle Albert. And she loves all of her friends. And, and I think if you ask any of the, if you ask Emmeline, if you ask Connor and Jalen and, and all these children, Evelyn, they would all say, oh, I love my brothers and sisters. The story changes come Sunday morning, though, at least with our daughter it does. At Sunday morning, they get dropped off in their worship. They have their worship time. And when they come out, they see all of these people that they love. Oh, there's Albert, Brother Albert. There's Brother Kenny. There's Aunt Sarah. All these people that they love. And at that point in time, they don't care at all about any of these people. I thought you loved them. I do love them. But that's not what I want right now. All, they, they try to hold her. She says, get out of my way. The only thing that matters in that time, I just want mommy. I don't care about my aunts. I don't care about my brothers. I don't care about my uncles. I don't care about my sisters. I don't care, daddy. I don't care about you. All I want, all I want is mom. And right now, at this point, everyone else, as much as I love you, you're just distractions to get me from getting to the one that I really want to get to. See, good things can become bad things 
when they keep us from the best thing. Now, there are things in our lives that are good. Like friends, like your dreams, like your job, like your reputation, like your family, like your dreams and hopes and all that stuff, your GPA. But if that good thing keeps you from the best thing, then that good thing can quickly become a bad thing. What is that thing in your life that keeps you from spending time with Jesus? And for some of us, it's a relationship, a real relationship. Some of us, it's a fake relationship with that person I don't know, that, that person that you have these dreams of, oh, if only I can get her to notice me or him to notice me. I know that they live in Korea and they're like a famous singer, but maybe one day <laughs> if I do a cover of their song and put it on YouTube and enough of my friends hit it, then maybe they'll notice me and, and I'll win a date with them. Or, or, or if I go to the military and I ask Justin Timberlake, will you come to the ball with me? And, and that's our, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, man. For some of us, we know what it is. These things keep us from giving all that we are to God. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a TV show. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's your desire for more and more and more and more stuff. Maybe it's your job. Whatever that might be, you know, there are things that keep us from giving everything that we are to God. Remember that Lifehouse skit, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a skit that probably every church in America has done, where this girl is being um, just being beaten and abused by the world and temptations of the world. And at the end is this great climactic moment where all of these things that have been warring for her soul are fighting, and she's trying desperately to get to Jesus. But all of these things, her addictions, her image, her, uh, I forget what other things are there, they're just fighting for her. And she's trying and they fight. They, she's trying and they fight. And Jesus is fighting for her soul and just fighting and, and yanking and pulling. And that's proof positive, exhibit A of your life and mine. That as we come desperate to Jesus, there are things that are fighting against us. What's that one thing in your life? If Jesus said, here, one thing, one thing, just give this one thing up to me. And you can follow. This one thing in your life that if Jesus said, hey, hey, give this one thing to me, that you would have to say, you know what? I don't know. And you would walk away from that encounter with Jesus sad. Whatever that thing is, Jesus is saying, here is your God. That's your God. That's what you worship. That's what you give your allegiance to. Here on bended knee, you worship at the altar of this. The good things can very quickly become bad things. The second thing that we see in this passage, though, is giving up these things helps us to see what really matters. Giving up these things helps us to see what really matters. He wasn't around 
Because at verse 22, his, man's, his face falls. He goes away sad. He had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said, oh, how hard to enter the kingdom of God. Because he was so deeply clutching on to this thing in his life, it kept him from seeing what really mattered. The rest of the story that Jesus was going to tell him about. That this is how you have life eternal. And you know, we'll pick up at what it says in 29 in a second. But he misses out on what really matters because his hands are clutching to that thing. See, he's saying, this is your God, and your God is what, in, in the Bible it says, your idol is something that you love, something you obey, and something that you trust. Okay, what do you love? What do you talk about all the time? What do you always want to be around? Maybe it's a video game. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a person. I just love that person. I love that thing. I just always want to be around it. What do you trust? Who are you trusting? What are you trusting in to be your sense of worth and significance in this life? Is it to keep up with the Joneses or to keep up with the, with the Lees? Is, is that what it is? Is it to keep up with, with the person next to you? Is it to have that nice car so that people will look at you and, and say, well, at least they don't drive a stinky car. And it's a sense of recognition and worth that comes along with it. What do you trust in for your value and for your significance in this life? And then what are you obeying? See, Jesus presents this man with two options for who your God is. He says, here, you follow me, give up everything and follow me. His money says, you give up Jesus and you follow me. You can't follow both of them because they are diametrically opposed and they're going on two different directions. Your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, your dreams say, go this way. Jesus says, go this way. Which way do you go? Because you can't follow both. And when we're holding on to these things, it keeps us from seeing the things that really matter. The other night I came home, I think it was after prayer meeting, and uh, Olivia was watching Top Chef or, or some show that, that she was watching, and she was waiting for me to come home. And I got home, and I, I wanted to watch the Magic game because they were playing. And, and as soon as a commercial came on, Olive went into the bedroom, and she started, like, cleaning up and, and stuff like that. And so I flipped the channel just to kind of see what was going on. And Olive was in the room for a long time. Maybe she was listening and waiting to hear if Top Chef would come back on. But it, for about five, ten minutes, she was in the room. And then she came out, and the basketball game was on. And she's like, what happened? <laughs> what happened to the show that I was watching? And I said, uh, can I watch basketball? And she said, oh, okay, that's, that's cool. I was hoping because, you know, she likes the magic. I was hoping that she would watch it with me. She said, I'll just go watch um, my show in the bedroom. And I was like, no, that's not what I, that's not what I, and so I had this, this conundrum. So what if, what do you do in that situation where you just want to watch two different shows? I wish we had picture in picture, but we don't. I had the same dilemma when I was a college student. I was living with six guys and six guys and one TV in the living room. We all want to watch different things, right? I think there was like a movie on and there was a football game on and I wanted to watch football and they wanted to watch a movie. A couple of us, it was like, it was like the battle lines were drawn. And, and so I said, okay, here, here, how about we do this? We bring out one of the TVs from the bedroom and we put two TVs right next to each other. It was, it was perfect. That's a great idea. One of them is watching the movie. One of them is watching the football game. Right? One of them is tuned to the football game, the other is tuned to the movie. And as we're watching this, I, I found myself constantly going back and forth between both of these things, and I realized something. You try and watch two things at the same time, you end up watching none of them. Because you don't know what in the world is going on. She died? What? <laughs> and how did they get on top? Why are they? What just happened? How did they get to the 10-yard line? You try, and, you try and watch both of these things, you end up watching neither of them. And that's what, to his credit, to his credit, 
That's what this rich, young ruler recognized. That I can't have my cake and eat it too. That I can't have all this stuff and keep it and then follow Jesus at the same time. The problem was that he didn't know which one he should let go of. I think sometimes that's our problem. We realize that we can't have our foot in both worlds. We can't go all in for Jesus and then go all in for the world. We can't go all in for Jesus and then still follow after the hopes and dreams and the pleasures of the things that this world gives to us. We realize that we can't have it both ways. But the problem is knowing which one we should let go of. A few years back, we had some friends of friends visiting us. And we had some, I don't know if it was at our house or somewhere else, but we're playing this card game. You guys ever played this card game called, uh, I think it's called Kemp's? This card game where you see everybody sits in a circle and everyone's got four cards and you've got a partner sitting across from you. And the object of the game is to get, you start out with four cards and you pass cards. You pick one up, you drop one. You've always got four cards in your hand, but you're trying to get four of a kind. And as soon as you get four of a kind, you've got to give some kind of a signal to your partner before everyone else catches you so that they say Kemp's. And then you go, yes, you got it. And then you clap and you win. Either you get it and they call it or they get it and you call it. And so here, I remember we're playing this game and it was really comical because my wife, Olivia, for the life of her, she couldn't win. Like every round, it's like she's losing. <laughs> it's almost like to, to, to comical proportions where it's like, man, you are so bad. Why can't you win at least once or twice? And out of all the, the entire games that we're playing, everyone else is winning. And at the end of the night, uh, these friends of friends go home and Olive is so mad. She's like, do you know how many times I had four of a kind? My partner is so blind. The only thing, she's just looking at her cards the entire time, trying to get her thing, and she's blinded from seeing that I had it the entire time. Countless rounds, I was signaling to her that I had it, but she was so fixated on holding on to her stuff that she couldn't see what really mattered. And it's only when she begins to give that up that she could see the things that really matter. They could have won the game on many an occasion. You see, that's part of what we're doing, isn't it, as we fast from certain things for Lent. We're letting go of these things that have a grip on our hearts so that we can see what really matters. We're giving up food that we use to cover up our pain and our sadness, giving up this stuff so that it would drive us to go deeper into Christ. We're giving up our Korean videos that we're so addicted to that we use to soothe our pain so that we can have more time to see what really matters. We're giving up our secular music that poisons our mind, as some of y'all have said. Giving up that kind of stuff so that my outlet wouldn't be these things. It would be finding it in Christ. See, this rich, young ruler was really a poor Young, fool, because he didn't know which one he was supposed to give up. And so he walks away sad. What if instead of these things like, like I'm giving up soda, I don't think that's the biggest idol in my life. And some of y'all are, well, I'm, I'm married to my idol or I gave birth to my idol. What do I do then? Do I give that away? No. But we have to see it in its proper perspective. Right? See it for what it is. It's a gift. It is a servant to help you love Jesus better, not your master. 
because we will follow our master. Whatever our master says, do this, even if it means not following Christ. Here's your career. This is your master. Follow me, even if it means skipping church, even if it means not going to the regular fellowship and the gathering of the saints. Here it is. Follow me. We can't follow both. And it's only when we begin to let go of these things that we can begin to see what really matters. Then the last thing that we see here, the last thing that we see, Jesus will say this in starting in verse, uh, verse 28. The last thing that we see is that any sacrifice we make for God is no sacrifice. Verse 28, Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. Yeah, Peter's always, you know, he's always the one that has to remind Jesus of the great things that he's done. And yet Jesus is very gracious with him, helping him to understand that any sacrifice you make for God is really no sacrifice. There was a few years back, we had a, one of our gals, she was chosen to sing the national anthem at a minor league baseball game at, at Disney's Wild, Wide World of Sports. It was like the uh, Tampa Bay Rays AAA team. And so a group of us went out to listen to her and to support her. And for me, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I love going to baseball games. It doesn't matter what. I, I like watching just like little league kids play games with baseball. That's fun for me. But for everybody else, it was really boring, and there was a pretty sparse crowd there. And during the third, fourth, fifth innings, people were like, can we, let, let's go. And I wanted to tell them, well, it's about to get good, it's about to get good, but it wasn't really getting good. And at one point during the middle innings, this guy walks up. He works with the, with the team. He walks up to me, and he says, hey, do you want to be in the dizzy bat relay? I was like, sure. You know, this is great. And so he's like, all right, come follow me. So we're walking through, and he's taking me in this back road through these, like, tunnels in the stadium. And it's, like, really cool seeing things that I wouldn't normally get to see. He takes us through the, the, the clubhouse tunnel and, and out onto the field. And it's, like, this beautiful field of dreams that opens up. And it's just beautiful. And the smell of, of grass, you know, the, the, I don't know if you, if you care about that. But to me, it's really exciting. And so I get out there, and he's explaining to me. He's like, here's what you have to do. You and this other guy, and he points to this other guy, are going to have a baseball bat. And you're going to stand at the starting line. And when I say go, you're going to put the bat on the ground. We've done this at youth retreats. And you spin around 10 times, and then you run 50 yards, and you touch the mascot's hand. Whoever touches the mascot's hand first wins. And so I was like, my heart is beating. I'm so nervous. This guy next to me said, are you ready? I said, I think I am. He's like, I'm ready. And he's got a beer in his hand. He's like, I'm ready. I've had five beers. I'm already dizzy. Ha, ha, ha. So I was like, I think I can, I think I can win. But still, I don't want to lose to a guy who's had five years already. So I'm trying really hard. And so he says, go. I'm spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. I'm hoping they're counting properly because I think I'm almost done. But he looks like he's going faster than me. And so I, I finish. I drop my bat. And I, the, the world is just, everything is spinning. And I'm, oh, my gosh. And then I get my bearings about me. And I run. And I'm running crooked, obviously. And I get to the guy. And I touch him. And they say, yeah, you won. And the announcer says, yeah, what's your name? David. David wins. And he gets a $25 gift certificate to Disney All-Star Cafe. And and. Well, I feel like everyone's clapping. Probably no one was watching. No one cares. But I was thinking to myself, great job. And as we're going back, he gives me this gift certificate. And he's like, thanks so much, man. This is a dead game. You guys are saving us. And I thought to myself, are you serious? Hey, you're thanking me? Like as if I did something to help you? I, I got the glory of winning this dizzy bat relay. I got this $25 gift certificate. And you're saying thanks to me? No way. You have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea. I gave up this tiny thing, and I got so much more in return. And Jesus is saying, anytime 
You make a sacrifice for God. It's never a sacrifice. Look at what he says. Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And this passage always moves me, and it stirs me. You know, and sometimes we talk about missionaries who are, you know, just great heroes of the faith doing things, and, oh, they, they, they gave their lives as martyrs for Christ, and, and we talk about that, but I've come to realize that, you know what, a lot of times we tell these stories, but there's such a disconnect between them and us. Like sometimes those, those stories, instead of inspiring, they kind of deflate and cause us to say, I can never be like that. As I was thinking about this passage, I thought about our girl, Star, who's in Asia right now. And how a few months ago, I'm sorry, a few weeks ago, she left to go to that big country. And in most of the email correspondence we have, probably about once or twice a week, the constant thing is how much she's loving telling people about Jesus and how much she's loving the fact that she gets to make Jesus famous in a country where he's not. And I think about the things that she's doing and the joy that she has as she's doing that. Just telling people just complete freedom in her heart. Not freedom to declare the gospel, but just freedom in her heart to, to be giving everything that she has to Jesus. And then I remember when this journey began. He said, there's a part of me that wants to get married like all single women, probably, most at least. And there's a huge part that said, but I don't know if I can leave my mother behind. Because I feel like I'm the only thing left here for her. She tells me everything. She confides in me. I feel like she needs me so much. I don't know what's going to happen if I leave. And yet somewhere in her heart, the call of Christ was so much louder than any of these other things. And as I think about that, no one who's left mothers for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age and in the age to come, eternal life. She's going to realize that this small thing that she gave up is going to be given back to her a hundred times over in this life as well as in the life to come. How can that be considered a sacrifice when you give a dollar and you get a hundred dollars in return? When you give a life and you gain a hundred lives in return, how is that a sacrifice? When you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, here is what I give to you and you offer that to the Lord and then you get back all of this. How could that be considered a sacrifice? You give up one of these things and you gain all of this in return. That's on the backside of it all. On the front side, 
We go because of future grace, but we go also because of past grace. That Jesus Christ came and he lived for you and me. And man, so many times we look at what Jesus did as this little thing. But for Jesus, it was the world. How backwards is that? That he gives up everything. That the father gives up everything. For what? For you. And for me. That's the sacrifice. That's the sacrifice. See, everything that we worship, every God that we bow down to, it's all the same. We say to them, I will have no other gods before me, but every other God will abandon you. Jesus Christ is the only one, even to the point of death, who won't. Any sacrifice that we give to him is no sacrifice at all. Let's pray. My friends, I, I think that this place, the Lord may be putting his finger on certain things in your life. The things that if Jesus were to ask, it would be very difficult for us to give up to him a relationship that has crossed the boundaries of brotherhood and sisterhood. And when you look in their eyes, you don't see Jesus anymore. A friendship at school, perhaps, that's causing you to compromise the life of Jesus Christ in you and the convictions that you had and the commitments that you made. a sinful strongholder habit in your life that you've excused away as being an outlet for stress. But when we strip away the layers, Jesus says, here is your king. And as we go through Lent and move towards Good Friday, we can't worship more than one God. And I know it's very easy for us today to say, yeah, you know what? God's saying that. And then for us to not do anything about it. Guys, that would be tragic. We're not guaranteed another day. What's Jesus calling you to give to him? That by giving, you'd really be able to see Jesus in a way that you're not seeing him right now. just to, to let go and to cut ties with it. Let's come to the Lord. And let's pray. Let's bring our gods, our idols before the Lord. Say, Jesus, here it is. God, I need to, I need to walk away from it. I need to walk towards you. Help me, help me, help me. Give me the strength and, and, and help me to find someone today that I could talk to and, and make this decision concrete with. Let's take a, let's take a couple minutes to pray. Again, and just in, in honesty, I don't have to pray out loud, but let's just pray.
Allow the Lord to search our souls and, and to wrestle with our hearts. Spend a few moments in prayer that way. And I'll, I'll pray for us and we'll continue in our worship. Let's take some time to pray together. Father in heaven, show us continually what those things are that keep us from loving you, from obeying you, and trusting you. And as we let go of these things, fill us with an overflowing joy and overwhelming peace and new visions of you. Because when we see you, we can worship you. It begins there. So help us to let go and to drink deeply, receive more of you in our lives. We thank you. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.